Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And we're continuing Shocktober here. I've got two extremely shocking cases for us this week. All right. Thanks for bringing me on the shocker. It's going to feel a lot like I imagine the shocker to feel like as we go through these cases. One could only guess. Just so you know. Yes. No no personal experience with it, of course. Oh, no. Me either. But the both of the cases I'm covering this week, Megan, were recommended by or suggested, shall I say, by listeners. This one we refer to these as listener picks. Yes, thanks, guys. The, I've got a whole dang notebook full of them that I'm working my way through. But this was sent in by uh, Michael, Michelle, and at least three others. Oh. whose names I did not have permission to use, so I didn't include okay. them. So but multiples. Multiple this one's listeners. Coming in multiples. Wanted to hear this horrific story. It really, we know who you are as people. It's okay. Yeah. And we don't judge you. I think they more so were like, here, I just had to read this horrible story. Now I'm going to go ahead and let Shardell and Megan hear about it too and, and the rest of the oh, world. So it's therapeutic so someone else can be there with them. Yep. Yeah. It was. It's it, one of those type of cases mm-hmm. then. All right. I'm preparing it's myself awful. mentally with a drink of whatever this lovely concoction yeah, what is. what we got today? What yeah. did you provide me with? It's I can't a, see. You hit it in this hard Oh, here, look koozie. at mine. It's an absolute berry vodkarita today. Yeah, That's so what is, you think that you're going to drink TV static, and you don't because nope. it's got a little vodka-esque twist to it. Yes, it's not a paid sponsor, but... Could be. Could I be. say this all the time. Where are there. you guys? Get out there and get yourself some of this stuff because it's actually quite delightful. All right, we shall sit while plug. we... Um, uh, this is our coping. Immerse ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is the Petit family murders. If you're not familiar with it, it actually didn't take place that long ago. Um it was in 2007. Oh, oh, God, I say not that long ago. Well, but shit it's not. Sake. It's really not. Not in my brain. It's not. Anyway, I was giving birth to my second baby. I say if it's that long ago for some of you, perhaps we need to see your IDs. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Have uh, we stated lately that this is kind of an adult-oriented podcast? We haven't. But Well, Here's I, would a reminder. Say, I would say our, our my beginning thing of Crime Curious is a true crime podcast. <laughs> Mature audiences. Yeah, may not be appropriate for some audiences. And by some, we mean children. Children. Those of weak sensibilities and sensitivities. That's right. And Karens. Not suitable for Karens. Yeah, that's that's a good point. All right. Now we have to jump into the horrificness. So strap in, sister. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Petit family first. So Jennifer, born Jennifer Hawk, um, then she marries to become a Petit. She was a nurse and co-director of the health center at Cheshire Academy, which was a private boarding school in Cheshire. Um, She met the man who would become her husband, William Petit, at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh in 1985, 
when she was a new oncology nurse and he was a third year medical student at the University of Pittsburgh. That's sweet. Isn't that adorable? It is adorable. They married in 1985 and ended up having two beautiful daughters together. Their oldest daughter's name was Haley, and she had just graduated from Miss Porter's school. She was a cross-country runner. She played basketball and and crew. I don't know what that is. I do. She, crew? Yeah, me. she's rowing, man. She's she's on <gasps> That's the water. Right. Yeah. Okay. This yep. girl's got some arm muscles she showing was, up. Oh, she does. She yeah. is extremely athletic, which is mentioned later. It comes up later. Um, and she was a high school honor roll student. While she was at Miss Porter, she was elected the senior leadership position of the Athletic Association, where she also won a school award for exceptional community service. She was scheduled to attend Dartmouth College. Oh, prestigious. Yep, where she was also going to study medicine like her father. This girl's got it all Technically, going her on. Technically, her father... Farmer. Farmer. Her father. Fa- her, father. <laughs> her father and her mother. I mean, her mom was a nurse. Yeah, absolutely. So, mm-hmm. She had been an active fundraiser for multiple sclerosis. Multiple sclerosis. You know Take what happened? 700. We didn't shake. I know. I'm stumbling over my words because we forgot to shake the lucky sack of dicks. That's right. There we go. Shake it up. I got it. We're good now. I can't look at it and say the word, but MS, guys. MS. MS. Thank you. I was just going to say that. Because her mom was diagnosed with MS. Oh, God love her. Yep. But she did not let it stop her from, Jennifer was still a working nurse, and um, but her daughter wanted to help raise funds for it. And so I love that. And she actually even camp- captained a walk for MS called Haley's Hope. Super Isn't cute. That adorable. Started being charitable in high school. This is during yes, her high school this years. This was her high school career. Mm-hmm. The Petit's younger daughter, Michaela, attended Chase Collegiate School before she was tragically uh, a part of the, the murders in this case. The, her plan was once her older sister left for college, she was going to take over Haley's Hope for MS and renamed it Michaela's Miracle. That's what that's what she was going that's to. That's super cute too. Do. I like it. Mm-hmm. So keeping she, it going, but making it your kind own. kind of her own. Mm-hmm. She actually often cooked a lot for her family. She was an avid chef. She loved to cook. You know, I like that. And now let me tell you a little bit about William Petit. So he was an endocrinologist in Plainville. He was also the medical director at the Jocelyn Diabetes Center at Connecticut Central Hospital. He was like the lead, one of the leading diabetes uh, doctors, as a matter of fact. So he was a devout dad, very active in his daughter's life. Um, him and Jennifer had a very wonderful marriage, just a normal. This really was just the epitome of a very normal American family here. So now we're going to turn the page a little bit and take a drink. Okay, I'm getting ready. Because now we're going to talk about the asshats that ruin this family. Oh, plural. Mm. There were multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first asshat is Stephen Joseph Hayes. He was convicted as an adult for the first time in 1980 at age 16. Oh, well, God. Good job, buddy. Yep, he's starting off strong. He was violating as a juvenile as well, but this was the first time in 1980 that he was tried as an adult. At 16. At 16. Which Mm -hmm. can be done and often is, but it's usually something really bad for that to occur. Mm -hmm. And he is just a whole bunch of badness. Just 
terrible, not good. We don't like him at all. And he smells. I'm sure he does. I was just going to say some people smell of evil at the same time that you said he smells. It's weird. Yeah, Yeah. I think you're right. It's a pheromone thing. mm -hmm. Have you ever walked by somebody? I don't know what happened there. Have you ever walked by somebody? It was was possessed. Was that the devil coming out in you? It was. evil. Yeah, it was. It was the devil. (laughs) I can leave now. I can smell feces. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) That's not me. No, no. That's the smell of evil. Yeah. A lot of people say when they're having demonic episodes that they smell feces. Yeah, because they're going crazy and they've probably shit themselves, Charnel. Oh, but. <laughs> fine. Bring it down to a reality I level. I told you for I'm me. always going to ruin the supernatural for you or attempt to like find it. a way. I like it. So, all right. So he smells of so evil. He smells of evil feces. We like it. Yeah. So he's an actual shitbag. He is completely. And it, not as bad as his co partner here that we're going to talk about in a minute. Oh, it gets worse than being an actual shitbag. It is. It, Let's it is. think of a nickname for him, too. So we have shitbag and. Well, you think of it when I butcher his last name because I'm not even going to try to say it correctly. I won't even. Give co- a fuck. I won't even correct you then. No, he can be remembered with his wrong last name as we pronounce it. That's right. So his that idiot's name is Joshua Andrew Kamasavarsky. Kamasarjavarnashkai. Sounds good know. to me. Koma Jerkovsky. That's, that's it. We have shitbag and jerk off. There, that's you perfect. just named him. Good right. job. Yeah. So he. So back to um, shitbag though. Okay. Shitbag so first. At age sixteen, when he was originally tried as an adult, he um, was sentenced to two years. Okay. He was paroled in 1982, and he violated his parole a mere seven weeks later. And it's basically just been downhill since then. He was arrested thirty times. Okay. And spent most of his time incarcerated, his last arrest before he commits, contributes to, and commits these horrific murders was in 2004 after he smashed a car window with a rock and stole a woman's purse. He was paroled in 2006 and was sent to the Silliman halfway house, which we would call transitioning housing from these days. From, uh, from corrections, from, mm-hmm. from prison. Yep. Where he met. Comma, you know, jerk off. Jerk off. So shitbag meets jerk off in, in, in a halfway a, house. In a halfway, in transitional housing. Yep. So let's talk about jerk off for a little bit, shall we? So not let's jerk off for a little bit. Let's just talk about. I mean, we all take breaks uh, in our own way. Right. There's no judgment. We'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> I only need three. So. <laughs> Sounds uh, like my last date. He was, he was, hey, uh, you know, shitbags co-conspirator in the events that take place he didn't have an easy life we'll throw him this his mother was young when she was impregnated by a mechanic who was barely out of his teens as well okay I think his mom was like 16 um that doesn't mean anything to me no I was just gonna say 16 when they had my sister I know plenty of teen parents who raise fantastic children (laughs) there's a ton of them on lifetime Right. Isn't that the <laughs> network does? that does the Teen Mom? Maybe it's MTV. It's MTV. I don't watch Teen Mom. Me, me neither. I can't but... bring myself to do it, but I am a fan of Lifetime. Those feel good movies. Me too. It's definitely not Lifetime. It is MTV. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> don't go to Lifetime looking for shows about well, teen mothers. Well, I'm very careful about anything I put in my search engine. They're an engines. extremely religious um, network anyway. So, yeah. yeah. Which is ironic because they do true crime stuff. Well, I mean, I guess it is true. Uh, right. Absolutely. They can't help yeah. it if people are perverse. They're it's just, and I, and I bet they're not as graphic as we are. Oh, definitely not. No. They say they, yeah, they don't say the things we say, Megs. Um, 
Okay, so basically this guy, and we won't get into like a ton of his stuff, but in the early 1990s, his sister accused him of sexually assaulting her, which I firmly believe that he most certainly did, um, as we will see what transpires later. Okay. But... And usually your sisters don't have reasons to just make this stuff up. Right. And his father did admit during the trial that it was probably true, that his daughter was probably not lying. Okay. Okay. And he actually had committed his first burglary when he was 14. By 2002, he was arrested for 18 home invasions. That was both him and shitbags kind of MO. It's interesting to see that they end up escalating to murder because most of their crimes were theft, home invasion. Yeah, but I can see it because I think when you're dealing with home invasion as a crime, one of the natural consequences of that is that there could be a death that arises. Those are felony Mm -hmm. murders, right? Yeah. And so it does actually seem more of a natural progression than you might think. To me, it makes perfect sense and surprises me that it doesn't happen more often. I Yeah, I would agree with that, that... I'm surprised that it doesn't happen more often. Also, shitbag Stephen Hayes there, he really enjoyed just like the power that it gave him to walk around people's houses without them knowing that he was there. He would look in on them when they were sleeping and listen to them breathe, which is creepy as fuck it when just you think made, about I it. I have a goosebump. Yeah. I have some goosebumpies on the left side. That's what happens. Only the left side. And I mean the whole left That's side. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's never. Yeah. If I ever goosebump all over your body, people, you'll know that that's a bad, that's a bad sentence right, right there. Yeah, it is creepy if you think about it. But that, when I read that statement, that is at the point where I was like, yeah, he was always going to eventually end up murdering somebody. I think he really enjoyed the feeling that that gave him. Um, So they both kind of bonded over their their liking to break into people's homes. Now, for Joshua, a jerk-offowski, he mostly did it to secure cash so that he could get his next fix. Okay, so he's in a, he has some addiction he has issues. He it, it had addiction issues. Yes, yes, yes. Um, what's interesting is that, so they met at this halfway house, but then they reconnected in the summer of 2000. Like they kind of went on, while well, they were incarcerated and different, you know, things. But then they re-met in 2006, like going to AA and Narcotics Anonymous meetings and things like that together. And at that time, they were also still living in transition housing, but they seemed to kind of want to have their sobriety in check. Like they weren't using anymore, this but is they good. were still home invading just oh, wait, for they're, money. They're still committing home invasions, yeah. felony home invasions. But while going the- to their AA meetings... They're, they're committed to their sobriety, just not to not being a criminal. criminal. Yeah, mm-hmm. because a drug addiction is a DSM-5 diagnosis, mm-hmm. but being a fucking criminal is not. Nope. <laughs> so nope. that's where nope. we are, guys. Yep. So Jerkovsky was convicted on 12 counts of burglary in 2002, and he was sentenced to nine years in prison with six years of special parole. So, um, special parole. Mm-hmm. That's what it, that's what it said. I mean, do you get chocolate strawberries with that one? I didn't know if that meant like he could work in certain, like out of certain. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck it meant. 
Okay. Because I was like, uh, it does sound like perhaps it's maybe another transitional type of thing that they have in Pennsylvania, maybe. Possibly. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to find out. During that sentencing hearing, the judge described him as calculated, cold blooded, blooded and a predator. Um, he was, yeah, well, and he had on that, on his record, the sexual assault of his sister, his sister, his young sister. Okay. So he is a pedophile. Young biological Mm -hmm. sister. Yep. Yep. So, and there's every reason to believe that he continued to violate, you know, the terms of, of that sentence as well. Um, and as we will see, this all comes into play. So here we are, you know, it's the summer of 2006, these two evil asshats get together and they're now friends kind of deciding that they're going to hit the streets burglaring together. Burglaring. Two blur- burglaring. I, I want to say it how I want to say it. I know. I like it. I just, I want to, I like to hear you say burgle. 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 I have um, cotton mouth really bad today and it's. It's affecting me and my brain. Did I you think. drink last night, honey? Plead the fifth, Judge Megan. Just thrown. Oh, honey, I'm not judging you. Let's <laughs> let's just refer to me as Meg today. Because <laughs> I I had a couple of drinks last night as well. Yeah, just yeah, I had just a couple with some friends that came over. But yeah, well, I helped a friend move, and I realized that those things in your arms, some people call them biceps, they fucking hurt today. <laughs> they do. <laughs> you poor I thing. use them. I use them in a way that I don't see that doing this. Hurts. By the way, guys, I'm I'm doing a doing the beer bicep curl right now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't usually hurt me, today and today it, it causes significant pain. But you do you know, have a straw? Do you know what that tells me about you? What? You're the type of friend that someone can call on when you're moving. There's not a lot of friends out there like that, so I appreciate that. Most or, friends are like, "Oh, you're moving on this weekend? Weird. I'll be in Jamaica." Yes, I mean that happens. So. I did hear once, totally off topic, once you're over 40, which I am, I know you aren't, but once you're over 40, promising your friends pizza and beer, if you help them move, no longer has the appeal. And I can assure you that it does not. Mm -hmm. Because when I helped my friends move last night and he said, okay, are you ready to get pizza? I said, no, but I'm ready to order Mexican and to go margaritas. (laughs) So we did that instead. Perfect. Because that is when I will help you move from Mexican and to go margaritas. That's, That's a good idea. Yeah. I like that. Let's can we normalize Mexican and to go margaritas for moving car- friends? We have now. It's normal. And you can tell everybody who you help move. They know him. Oh, yeah. It's Jason. Jason. Yeah. He moved. a woman. There is a woman out there brave enough to live with him. Oh, and she is a doll. And the, he is Jason. I know. That's <laughs> so, what I, it's. A, miracles do happen, people. I can't wait to get him back on here again miracles for the next, uh, next brain bath only. Oh, God. OK, so now let's jump into a little bit about the family. So the, the um, Patis lived at 300 Sorghum Mill Drive in Cheshire, Connecticut. What a great road name. I agree. And it was a very beautiful house, you know. They're, I mean, they weren't filthy rich, but they definitely lived nicely. We've got a doctor. We've got a nurse. I'm sure that they looked like they would have a safe full of money for burglary. Behind a picture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, behind the artwork. So... I'm going to take you to the day of July 22nd, 2007. And this one is horrible, guys. So just um, just don't mind us when we veered off topic there and stuff, because we're totally avoiding the grossness that is yeah, about I, to I ensue. Apologize. It's a regular summer. It's July. Oh, my God. July 27th. That's my husband's birthday. I just oh, realized that. Happy oh, birthday, fuck. Matt. So it's this normal summer evening in Connecticut for this beautiful family. And as I had mentioned, Michaela. They called her KK, I like which is that. adorable. She was 11. 
And I told you she really liked to cook, right? Mm -hmm. So she wanted to cook for her family that night on July 22nd. So her... At 11? Mm -hmm. That's impressive. She was cooking already by 11. And her mom took her to the local grocery store so that they could pick up the ingredients that she wanted to make dinner. And this is essentially where we think that they were targeted. Ah, fuck. Somebody's watching for nice families, nice looking mom and her daughter. I, they, it is speculated that what happened was Joshua Jerkovsky. Thank you. Spotted Michaela. And remember he's a pedophile. So he had an interest. He did. Specifically. And yes. And so he decided that he was going to follow Jennifer and Michaela home, see what kind of living conditions they had. Of course, they, they pull into this beautiful, you know, upper middle class type neighborhood, this beautiful house. And he's like, fuck yeah. Yeah. You can picture the subdivision right now. You can, you absolutely can. And so he, in his mind, it's, it's a go, you know, we're going to rob these people. But in hindsight, it is speculated that really he picked them both for the burglary and the opportunity to sexually assault Michaela. Oh, I knew you were going to get there. Yeah. So just not this quick. And this house is the biggest one on the street. So he contacts Shitbag and lets him know, okay, you know, this is what we're doing. Now, Jergovsky had a girlfriend. He somehow managed to have a girl who was interested in him. Everyone has low self esteem. Mm-hmm. And Pork, her name was Carolyn. She was 18 at the time. Her father, rightfully so, did not approve of this relationship. Good vibe, dad. Yep. He knew of his criminal history. He was certain that he was a sex offender. And he was certain that the only reason that Jerkovsky was interested in his daughter was because she was so young and beautiful. Yeah, she's 18. Mm-hmm. How old is he, by the way, right now? So he- I get a 26 that's vibe. That's a great question. I'm glad that you asked me that, Megan, because he was 31 at the time. See, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just no. Just absolutely I know. I, I don't have a problem with dating age differences when, for the most part, especially when people are over the legal age of consent. But the legal age of consent here is 16. And so you have an 18-year-old with... The, what does a 36-year-old man want with an 18-year-old girl? 31. You, uh, 31. But still. You you all know the answer to this question, mm-hmm. okay? And what is... Usually somebody her age who's dating somebody that much older would like a daddy, but it seems like she has one. She does. An appropriate one who knew right away that this guy was trouble and that he didn't want her to have anything to do with his daughter. Yeah. I'm less judgy once you're in your 20s and you're right. dating people much right. older. I don't care at that point. Right. You've had a... At least you're out of your teen years. You yep. graduated from high school, maybe even college. The word teen is not in the your teen age is not in your anymore. Age. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I agree. And what his interest here was, you know what? I need money to get her because the dad even moved away. They moved to, um, it's in my notes somewhere. Give me a second, everyone. From Connecticut to Pennsylvania, Arkansas. I thought they were in Pennsylvania. They are. They met in Pennsylvania, Mr. and Mrs. Petit. Sorry, but the case is actually in Connecticut. Oh, hell. Okay. Sorry, my bad. I didn't make that clear. That's on me. No. Well, I just didn't know they've they've moved since. So this, yep, they this live uh, Sorghum Lane is in Connecticut. Is in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so Carolyn's family moved to Arkansas. That's a hell of a 
change. Sure is. So yeah, Connecticut to, to Arkansas. Arkansas I'd yeah. say. I mean, I don't know if we have listeners from Arkansas, and if so, yeah. I love all of you. But the the only thing that I know about Arkansas is that once I lost my luggage there in a transfer from my plane, and I never got it back. So somebody there is enjoying some really fantastic, really expensive tequila from Cozumel, and also my panties. So congratulations, <laughs> guys. Enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> That's funny. No, it pisses me off. I really like those panties and a pair of vintage Chucks, by the way. Oh, that's sad. My vintage Chuck Taylor's black with the white. Like, I'm super pissed. More pissed than about the panties. Yeah. Even though I know what's happening to them, I'm more pissed about the shoes. I I agree. I'm so sorry for that for you. It's okay. I've mourned the loss. We can move on now. Arkansas, I'm sure you have more to offer than just lost luggage. Oh, my God. Of course you do. I'm see. This is why I, I I'm gonna have to make a trip to Arkansas now. We'll, Should we go we'll to Arkansas and do a live there and, to yes, apologize yes. for all of this? Yes, I want as my long as they're okay with me. Back Arkansas, give it to me, Arkansas. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> we do. Uh, so he decided, like, I'm going to his main motivation, supposedly, it's, for this robbing. It's not is in what he tells how he gets shit stain haze. Shitbag stain. Shitbag. Yeah, shit, shit stains an earlier episode. That's the first See episode. See the first episode of Crime Curious. Yeah. This is shitbag. Shitbag Hayes. He is like telling him, I want to rob this place because I need money to get my 18-year-old girlfriend up here. So the dude's like, sure, let's go ahead and do this. Now, they were a little rusty. Um, so on July 21st, they went ahead and did a test run at a different house. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Did you just say they committed a felony home invasion someplace else as a test run as a test run for this one because i i really feel like you know that house in home alone yeah it's a beautiful house it's and that's not what this house looks like but it is the biggest house on the street it is probably one of the bigger ones that they've ever attempted to invade and so i feel like they literally are kind of like the wet bandits here this case needed a kevin McAllister though for sure and it just was like listen, let's, let's test out, see, you know, we're a little rusty. So let's test this out on a smaller house. Okay. And it went too well. I it mean, went it well. was very easy. Were there for people them. in it? There were. So that's what we call a home invasion first degree. Yeah. It doesn't get any worse for home invasions than that, by the way. It means mm-hmm. there's people present there in yeah. with the intent and to they commit were a crime. In harm. Yep. In harm's way. Yep. yep. Absolutely. And it, but it went well. So they got what they wanted out of this place. They did. So stop so there, guys. That gives them the confidence of like, oh, Ugh. we can we can hit up the, you know, the main house here, the big kahuna. This is our, our retirement. You know, right? I made the mistake of thinking that narcissists stop yeah. once they've received what they might like. Aren't you and, adorable? Well, I am sometimes. I'm a veritable gem of a human. You are. Uh, nope, not for them. Um, they figure, okay, here we go. So July 22nd, 2007, um, around 7.45 p.m., we know that Shitbag sent Jerkovsky a text. So this is actually the guy that did not initiate the, I want to hit this house, right? But he sent a text saying that he was, quote, chomping at the bit to get started and that he would need a margarita Yep, don't we all, man? And an hour later, Jerkovsky texts Hayes that he was putting his five-year-old daughter to bed and then he would be ready to get the show on the road. Father of the Year award goes to... That right there, Jerkovsky. Let me get my baby in bed so I can ruin somebody's babies. Yes, so I can murder 
to and potentially daughters. sexually assault. Mm-hmm. Oh, he does. Yeah. As you're tucking your five year old daughter into yep. bed, I have a I have a feeling in my tummy. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. I don't like it. It's I, not even a goosebump. I hated knowing that Anger. detail of just like you tucked your own fucking daughter into bed before you went and murdered another man's two beautiful daughters and sexually assaults one. This is we know then that people's brains have this level of, of damage or disassociation here that can't be explained. Right. Obviously, as you can see humans, in this situation. We, we couldn't separate like that, by the no. way. No. None no. of our listeners could separate like that. No. So by 11 p.m. that night, Jennifer, daughter Haley, and daughter Michaela had drifted off to sleep watching TV while Dr. Petit was actually asleep on the sofa on the back porch after a night of reading. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, samesies, man. So on that night, Shitbag and Jerkovsky drove to a nearby Walmart where they purchased an air rifle and a rope. And they arrived at the Petit House around 3 a.m. on the 23rd of July. Um, They entered an open window and they were surprised to find Dr. Petit asleep on the couch because in, 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 in the past, they would have just simply like snuck around as quietly as possible or even moving on to like a safer home where there wasn't somebody downstairs. Oh no, they wanted this home. They did. They did. Um, as Jerkovsky actually really prided himself on being able to break into homes, remain there for hours undetected. And he decides in this moment, he sees a baseball bat that is leaning up against the basement stairs. Oh God. So he takes that and this is trigger alert now for horrific things. He takes that baseball bat and he hits Dr. Petit over the head with it several times. Fuck. Now, of course, this wakes him up. He's, <laughs> For a minute. As, as it would. He was confused. He was in shock. And the two tie him up and take him down to the basement oh. where they bind him to a pipe. It's, it's described as a pipe, but it's actually one of the... Um, Plumbing. It's sec- chimney. It's securing the. It's a support. A support. A support beam. beam. Good job. This we is just a family won, feud. We just one pictionary. <laughs> you don't have to say it faster. <laughs> yeah, su- uh. a support beam. Um, so they bind him around it. Weirdly enough, Jerkovsky comes back to prop his head on pillows to make him more comfortable. Well, he just hit him in the head with a baseball and bat. And he's bleeding profusely. He must have felt bad. He's beating, he's bleeding profusely, but he knows that he's going to go upstairs and do horrific things to his family. Well, does he, is this the first time technically that they've caused harm to somebody? This is. This is their first violent crime. Let's just psychologically going through this. If they've broken into multiple places before, but this is their first assault, he just assaulted somebody, made him bleed like with a baseball bat. And so I can see where perhaps at this point he's thinking, I don't, what's, what's the word for compassionately? Oh, empathy? Yeah. He's feeling empathy? Well, it's his version of empathy as much as a jerk off can feel. Mm -hmm. Possibly. The two make their way upstairs where they find Jennifer and Michaela are actually in Jennifer and Dr. Petit's bed together. And this is little detail is going to break y'all's heart. It it did mine. The reason that Michaela was in bed with her mom is because she fell asleep while re- while reading a Harry Potter novel beside her mom. And she's the eleven year old. She's the eleven year old. Yeah, like there's nothing. I, I mean, even if it was the seventeen or eighteen year old, it no. wouldn't bother me. Like no. that's just adorable. Yep, they're just sleeping. You know, you're sleeping watching together. a movie. Your daughter's reading. She yep. falls asleep. Dad's still downstairs. You yep. don't move them. My heart. My heart is breaking. Haley, the seven, their 17-year-old daughter, was asleep in her bed. 
So they proceed to tie all three of the girls up. They put pillowcases over their head. And then they return Michaela to her room and bind her to her bed. They separate Jennifer, the mom, and Michaela from each other. Yeah, see, I would already be dead, Charnel, because you take oh, my daughter away and you yeah. might as well just fucking yeah, you're kill gonna, me. You're going to know right? that you might as well kill me because I'm going to be a problem the whole time. Oh yep, God. exactly. No judgment meant for Jennifer, Mm-mm. by the way, who also, oh, by I the way, has MS. She does. And is, yeah, again, mm-hmm. let's, let's just point this out that we don't know how we're going to react. Yep, and so she, all three of them are bound to their own beds. Now, the thing, the problem is, is that this does not turn to be, turn out to be the bounty that they are expecting, Megan, because this family does not keep a safe full of cash and jewels. They keep their fucking possessions in the goddamn bank. Weird. Weird how that happens. Samesies. So, right. Exactly. Me too. There's nothing for you here. No. Uh, except for maybe some podcast equipment that's easily replaceable. So, I mean, like, the potential whatever. for being shot, that exists. Oh, yeah, yeah. Both of our houses. In our, both <laughs> our houses. throwing that out there. Yep. And I'm a bad aim, so there's going to be pain involved. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm going to miss a lot first. <laughs> I'm going to miss the target a lot into some other weird shit like your dick. Super yeah, sorry I mean, yeah. that that's not on your body anymore. Right. Let me get that for you. <laughs> they did discover their checkbook. The checkbook, uh, she kept a ledger and it shows that they have $40,000 in their checking account. So they decide, okay, we're not going to walk away empty handed. We want $15,000. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to hang out here. We're going to drink beer from the family's fridge while they're tied up and while Dr. Petit is downstairs going in and out of consciousness with his head wounds. And we're going to eat at the family's expense and we're just going to hang out and uh, wait until 9 a.m. When they, the bank opens? When the bank opens, and they're going to take Jennifer Petit to the bank and make her withdraw $15,000 for them. Why not all of it, guys? Well, I think they were afraid that that would raise suspicion with the bank. They also, in the night, go to a nearby gas station and fill up two gallon jugs of gasoline. Why the fuck do you need gasoline to rob somebody's bank account? I don't like where you're going with this. At 9 a.m., they took Jennifer Hawk Petit, and she was trembling as she looked out the window of her car. Um, Hayes, who is a a shitbag. Shitbag, yeah. He's at the wheel. He pulls into the bank parking lot, and they tell her, if you don't go, if you do not return with $15,000, we're going to kill your daughters. If you tell anyone or if they call the police, we're going to kill your daughters. But this whole thing does get really, really fucked up. So I just not only do I, is it a trigger alert for murder, but you're going to be triggered by some of the events that go down. Okay. Too. So I'm taking another drink. Good idea. Jennifer could not hide her horror as she's in the bank. And I will post the pictures, you guys. There is photos of her standing. She's been up all fucking night. She's trembling. Her voice is shaking. She is at this bank tell her, teller, not tell her, <laughs> bank teller, okay, with her tired eyes, her dark circles, but she was trying to remain calm. Oh, she's trying okay? to do like she's been directed. Yes. And I want y'all to remember that she is a nurse and nurses do have a, a, an innate amount of training to remain calm in very stressful situations. And so the teller did know that something was wrong. Okay, she couldn't hide it that well. So she did know something is wrong. 
Jennifer was able to tell the bank teller what was going on and the teller alerts the bank manager. They could kind of see that she is looking petrified, but at the same time, she she is appearing very normal. And what is triggering them is they're like, this is kind of an exorbitant amount of money, okay? But they tell her, you know what? In order to do this, we need a, such a large amount of money. We also need Dr. Petit present because his name is also on the account. Oh, fuck. That's when Jennifer's like, this is what is happening. Okay, I need like- Give I me have, the fucking money so I, I can go to take walk out of here girls. with $15,000, okay? So what the bank manager does- is arranged for Jennifer to take out a line of credit that would allow her to get $15,000 instead of taking it from the bank account because Dr. Petit's not present. That's so weird. Okay. So she fills out this application. Like, what the fuck are we doing here, people, that you're giving this woman who is telling you what's happening? How come a no one's called the goddamn cops yet? Fucking thank you. Charnel, some police could have been there and surrounded the car already. Both of the goddamn murderers were waiting in the parking lot for her. Oh, and this is the community's uproar. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm I'm sick. Yep. This is, I'm sick. Yep. The teller explained to the manager what had transpired, okay, that Mrs. Petit said that shitbag would kill her family if the police were notified, but the manager snuck into her office she turned off the lights and she dials 911 anyway. Good. Okay. But this is after they gave her the line of credit. Okay. And now the bank manager's name is Mary Lyons. And what she said during the investigation is, quote, she explained to me that her family was being held. And as long as she got the money and got back to the house, everybody would be okay. I just knew from the look on her face and the look in her eyes that she was telling the truth, her eyes told me a look from one mom to another mom, end quote. Okay, great. This is absolutely where the story should fucking end, as you indicated. It is. The police could have circle, you know, gotten to that yeah. fucking bank, right? Yeah, lights and sirens, baby. Yep. But when she goes back to the car, they're not there, so they return back to the home. No, the they police left her. are not. No. Oh, no. She got in the car. She got in the car because she got her money. Gotcha. Like, how are we not stalling giving her the fucking money for the police to arrive? And they know the address, too. They know where she lives. They know her home address. They sure do. They've got it on file, right? Yeah. (laughs) The problem is, is that the police interpret this call from the bank teller as if Jennifer herself is a possible suspect involved. What? Yeah. I don't get that. How? We don't know, Megan. Oh, to have the 911 call. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it said, but you know, I don't blame Mary Lyons, the bank manager. She no. had the information that she had and it was interpreted later. I'll just tell you right now, the police, the Connecticut police do not ever apologize. They do not ever give explanation. Um, there was, you know, some, some things said that kind of indicated the lack of training in responding to these sorts of circumstances. Seems legit. Um, I'll piss you off right now and let you know that the tragic events that happen, you just got to know the house is already surrounded by police, but they were acting on an order to not enter because they thought that Jennifer was a perpetrator. Uh, 
I don't even have words. So I, I'm not, and you know, I don't like to be judgmental, especially when it comes to, to law enforcement, because I'm, of course I'm, a, not. I'm, I'm a proponent. Neither one of know? us do. Right. But I also, on a regular basis, have to find potentially wrongdoing things that aren't followed mm-hmm. correctly as they should be. And this is a huge error tactically that started to begin with. Yes. In An terms error tactically, I love how you put that because it that is. is exactly what happens here. I don't know what their protocol was for a hostage situation, but there are protocols for those that might make regular people be like, what? I think these sure. people just come in guns a blazing and that doesn't always no. happen. No, They're first of all, it. that is dangerous for the police officers as well. It is. Mm-hmm. What bothers me about what you've indicated so far, though, is the part where Jennifer is a suspect, period, anywhere, anyhow. Yes. I just don't see where there's been any probable cause. I'll use that legal terminology because it's the lowest standard of proof. Right. The, how? Because she was the one there without her husband trying to take the money. Terrified trying to get money out? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. And what, what they what keep saying, 2007, the problem is what they kept going back to was that although she appeared to be terrified, she was extremely calm. And they interpreted that not as someone, which pisses me off. You can't really interpret people's reactions like that. She was staying calm because her children's life were on the fucking line. She's also a trained trauma nurse, right? Right? Yes. Or oncology nurse. She's used to seeing terrible things and remaining calm. Yep. Like that's- Always. Yeah. So they had prop, they took issue with the fact that she did present terrified. She was shaking, but she was extremely calm in her demeanor and extremely straightforward in her demeanor. Apparently, they expect someone to be erratic. I'm sorry, but... Or hysterical? Yeah. I um, wouldn't The thing be. is, she knows she's being watched by these people, and they have her daughter's life in her in in their hands. So, yeah, she's going to do everything she can to shit herself on the inside, but remain calm on the outside. Yeah, it's that's logical. 100% agree with everything you just said. So what was happening, what happens when they return home, trigger freaking alert, just basically for the rest of the podcast. Um, <laughs> Jergovsky informs uh, Hayes, and I misspoke. I think that I must have thought that they both went to the bank. Jergovsky stayed. Oh, and shit. Bag so Jerkovsky the is bank. there the whole time. He is. And the police are surrounding the place while Jerkovsky is inside. Is Hayes there yet? Hayes and Jennifer return. And when they return, Jerkovsky informs Hayes that he sexually assaulted Michaela. And then he... The youngest one. The youngest, the 11-year-old. Not the 17-year-old, the 11-year-old. He, trigger alert, said that he performed oral sex on her and recorded the act on his phone. He also positioned her in various sexual positions while he pleasured himself snapping photos and videos the entire time. Ah, I hate him. During questioning later, because they do get caught, just so you know, there is resolution here. Jerkovsky claimed that there was only contact, no rape. However. Sexual contact is sexual assault, dickhead. It doesn't matter. There was DNA in her body. He absolutely raped her. Of course he did. So then he tells, or Jerkovsky tells shitbag that it's time for him to square things up. And that he needed to rape Jennifer. Oh. Which he decided to go ahead and do on the living room floor. They left Haley alone. The 17-year-old. Really? They did. So at 9.51 a.m., Dr. Petit emerged from the basement. He got loose. 
But what woke him, now remember, this man has significant head trauma, and I actually did stumble across the pictures of it. It was amazing to me that he didn't uh, suffer brain damage. Oh, he could, should have but bled out. He, he should have. But he was in and out of consciousness. And this is just a gross detail that I'm sorry to even know. But what roused him was a rhythmic thumping from upstairs. And he had no idea that that was his wife being, being sexually, assaulted. sexually assaulted. And then for whatever reason, so he gets loose. Jerkovsky sees that he had got loose and was going to the neighbors. Tells Hayes. Um, shitbag who is raping Jennifer that Dr. Petit had gotten loose and it pisses him off so much that he strangles Jennifer okay. right there on the living room floor. During the sexual assault, yes. he strangles her. Yep. So the neighbor, I told you he ran, Dr. Petit went to the neighbors. This neighbor's name was David Sim, Simic? Simchik? Yeah. Probably Simchik actually, but. Yeah, that sounds right. So good old we'll David. Go good old David. Um, he had just unleashed his dog after a long walk when he heard what he thought was someone calling his name. So he's been the neighbor for of the Petis for 18 years now, and he's kind of looking around, and then in his mudroom window, he looks through his garage and sees uh, just a bloodied uh, Dr. Petit. He actually did not even recognize him at first. His arms and legs are still bound. Okay. Oh, shit. And he's just making his way as fast as he can over to this neighborhood. The, um, and when you see pictures of the neighborhood, they are the houses are pretty close together. Okay. Of course, his head is split open on the top and um, in the front of his face. Um, this is a quote from that he told the court. He actually testified in court. And he said, quote, I did not recognize him at first. His face was banged up. It just didn't look like Dr. Petit. And Dr. Petit's next words were, Dave, Dave, call 911. So he did. He calls 911, but he looks up and sees a police officer walking up his driveway with his rifle drawn. His, the neighbor's driveway? The neighbor's driveway. Dave's? Dave's driveway. The police instructed the Dave to get inside immediately and ask Dr. Petit if anyone was inside the house. He chokes out my girls. And just that fast, all of a sudden, his home erupts in flames and smoke. Uh. So to this day, both men blame the other for being the ones to pour gasoline around the house, including a trigger alert directly on the girls and lighting a match. Now these girls are still alive. Jennifer is not alive anymore. Yeah, she at was this strangled. point in time, she was strangled when they discovered Dr. Petit had escaped. Do you think that he had killed Michaela prior to after burning. sexually assaulting her yeah um no because the autopsy report shows that she died from smoke inhalation so she was breathing Jerkov is the one that had the time to get the gasoline around the outside of the house while shitbag was at the bank um he it was only inside the oh it wasn't was not outside. On the outside it was just the inside okay well and they blame they each other that neither one of them will take accountability they don't need to there were two fucking gas cans it was fucking both of them well they're equally accountable anyway we know that that night during the night yeah they went and got jerkovsky i believe it was went and got gas two gallons of gas you had knowledge of it you're guilty of the actual crime it's called conspiracy people yeah be careful and so, who you hang out with problem is though during the interviews with them they both smelled of gasoline <laughs> and there was clothes or there was gasoline found on both their fucking clothing sure. so yeah you both did it like i said there were two gas cans they, they both lit the did house it. on fire while they were inside it okay mm -hmm. 
when the smoke and when the house like kind of exploded, okay, and that police officer was telling Dave to get back inside and, and all of this stuff, it took them a couple of minutes to come out of the house, to come running out of the house, but they did. The police are already there. They, so they were surrounded. The police had surrounded this place 30 minutes prior. Did they know? They saw, we'll get to it. Okay. But what infuriates everybody who hears this case is that while, you know, while Jennifer was being murdered, the police were right outside. So the whole time she's being raped and strangled. Yes. Yes. They were outside because they were told not to enter because she was a possible suspect. And there was a negotiator ready to negotiate with them if this was a hostage situation. And he was told to stand off. Mm. They were captured very quickly. Obviously, they tried. Well, they like, had to run out of a fiery house. They did, and they stole their family SUV and like <sighs> crashed it. They went running, or they went driving through the front yard, crashed into a police cruiser, <laughs> got nowhere, and they fucking got them and apprehended them. Right? I mean, it's like yeah, the unfortunately most, they've taken out three beautiful, yes, lovely lo- girls, lives. women. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, yep, exactly. All for absolutely fucking nothing, nothing. at all. And not that any murder is, they're all senseless, but the fact of the matter is they didn't even get out of the fucking yard before they run into a police cruiser, you dumb fucks. I don't, Jerkovsky didn't give a fuck about the money to begin with. He no. was there for what he wanted. He was he there wanted. for, for KK, absolutely. He was there for what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Shitbag gave police a fake name. It probably was Shitbag too. He's probably like, my name is Shitbag. Yeah, well, I think that's good. Yep. We'll make him a name tag. And said he didn't know if anyone else was in the house. Because at this point Fucking in time, liar. the house is aflame. Well, yeah. Right. But however, Jerkovsky was forthcoming, told the police that there were three people inside and that they needed to hurry if they were going to save them. But he already knew Jennifer was dead, right? But he was not sure about the girls because they they actually weren't dead at the time that they left the house, but their intent was to kill them when they put gasoline on their body and set the house on fire. Couldn't agree more. It was, though, however, already too late. I'll tell you what the crime scene trigger alert to it but what the crime scene found okay. trigger alert number four i know there's so many michaela was still tied the 11 year old was still tied to her bed she did die of smoke inhalation Haley, being a strong athlete managed to free herself from her ties but they found her at the top of the stairs um she had succumbed to the smoke inhalation mm-hmm. there were significant burns on their body the fact of the matter is is that they don't they they do know that these girls bodies were definitely on fire before they died so it was horrific and not a quick death for them you know the first question that people ask and i know you're you you've already asked it of why the fuck didn't the police intervene and many the media neighbors friends family everybody wants to know the same thing according to the testimony at the trial i'll just tell you they both wanted separate trials because of course they were both like turning on each other and sure. not willing to admit um I guilt think that's and better. certain things yeah all that stuff do the separate trials however when it comes down to is they were both offered a plea of life in prison without the possibility of parole which would spare William Petit, who did survive everyone. He survived the massacre of his wife and two daughters. It would spare him from having to go through two trials. But he wanted the death penalty. Which one did? Shitbag or jerk off? 
Dr. Petit. Oh, Dr. Petit wanted the death penalty for both of them. Sure did. Um, and Dr. Petit. So he was willing to put himself through those two trials. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I'm not a big, I'm, I don't cast I know, judgment. It's a, it's a gray area I for me. I think when the victims want it, go for it. And when they don't, but there's just this part of me that all of a sudden, like I have a whole bunch of adrenaline and mm-hmm. something right in my core is like, Absolutely, Dr. Yeah. Petit. I'll this hold your hand the whole time, man. 17-year-old, an 11-year-old beautiful girl, and his white, the love of his life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. Good for you, man. So um, this is what the Cheshire Police Officer Thomas Wright testified to at the trial. He said that he received a call over his police radio around 9.30 a.m. about a home invasion on Sorghum Mill Drive. This would be have been like in response to the bank call. Before heading to the scene, he went back to the police station to grab a special vest and a rifle for another officer um, and then headed to the scene, which, okay, yep, it's a home invasion. We know they're very dangerous, right? He should have his vest on. For sure. Then police announced over the radio that they didn't want more police cruisers going by the Petit's home because they knew an, an active invasion was happening. All right, so, they're trying to be discreet, right? Yep. So Wright parked his vehicle at the nearby intersection, and then he went through the backyard to give the rifle to his fellow officer who had ar- arrived on scene before him. And he saw a man in a driveway between a vehicle and a garage door bleeding profusely. Doctor. He sees Dr. Petit. So Officer Wright, as it turned out, was the officer who had yelled at David to go back inside right okay. before the house explodes. And so the thing that also upset people was, and this does not upset me, but the officers pointed their guns at Dr. Petit because they weren't sure who the fuck he was and if he was one of the perpetrators. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't upset me. No. I mean, I can understand why you'd be upset because what has the poor man been through, but that's just standard Mm -hmm. right there. There's, that's protocol. It is. And as someone who And that was protocol that I know about. That's exactly general knowledge protocol. As someone who works in the field and has been on dangerous situations, yeah, I'm going to make sure that I know what's going on of who is in front of me. Not that I was ever allowed a a gun because CPS workers are not, (laughs) but you- you know, you want, I think it's absolutely fair that he did that until he got the whole story of like, who are you? Is there, you you know, what's going on? The media kind of had a heyday with this. They didn't like that. But I mean, guys, that is, that was tact to use your words. That is like tactical protocol. Okay. Like you should be doing that. So then Officer Wright grabbed David's phone and told the 911 operator, because remember David was in the process of calling 911 to send an ambulance before Dr. Petit. So then he looked over and saw a tan vehicle careen over the lawn and head straight for one of their, the Cheshire officers um, on the road, like towards the officer yeah. in his police cruiser on the road. At this point in time, the flames, flames were too high for the officers to enter the home. Now the department claims that they tried to get into the front of the home and then in the back They searched for a ladder to try to break in an upstairs window, but to no avail. At that point, the fire department arrived, and their only job was to put out the fire, not rescue survivors. Right. So, Well, they know whether it's enterable or not. They do. Yeah, exactly. The decision to burn the house down with the family inside was made after Drakowski informed shitbag that Dr. Petit had escaped. That's when they went to that plan, because now it's we can't leave any 
witnesses and evidence is their their whole plan. However, shitbag says, no, that really wasn't a part of the plan until we saw the police officer outside talking to Dr. Petit. No, guys, they bought these gas tanks in the middle of the night while they were waiting for the bank to open. Yeah. This was always their plan. Good job pointing that out. You, <laughs> so, you don't need them to point fingers and turn on each other for that. You no. just need the gas station attendant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody came in. They bought two things, two cans of gasoline. Two gallons of gas. Two. Yep. Two. Two. two cans of gasoline. Four. Two cans. Each each pair of hands. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Each little pair of dick beaters. That's right. <laughs> so true. Neither, as I had said, neither one of them was really willing to take the rap for this. They blamed it on each other because not only had the youngest member of the family been sexually assaulted, but when they um, poured gasoline around the house and they went that extra step of pouring it on the girls, they were trying to burn away the DNA evidence uh, on KK, right? So like they don't know how science works. <laughs> well, they do. They definitely don't. They obviously don't know how a lot works. First Megan. of all, they both spent so much time in prison. They should be fucking experts by now. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, I I'm can't actually. They sh- were this dumb. Correct. They they get a dumb criminal award just because they have more experience than most. That's a good point. In police recordings played at the trials, both of their trials, uh, Cheshire Sar- Sar- uh, Sergeant Robert Vignola can be heard saying, quote, three suspects, three suspects. One is a female, supposedly in the upstairs bedroom, Ugh. possibly dead with the other two. What? These I- words, hold on. These words were spoken 50 minutes after the initial 911 call. 50 minutes. I, I don't have the words. You just saw me put my face on the I microphone. Did. I did. One police officer, Lieutenant Joseph Manzini, actually got to the house before Shitbag and Jennifer even got back from the bank, but he was ordered not to approach anyone or to make contact with anyone inside the house. This isn't he a suspect watched them go into the house. Yep. Nope. That's bad, bad news. If anything, she's a she's a she's a complaining witness. She's a complainant. I mean, um, I guess she didn't make the nine one one call. I, I I'm 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 having a hard time wrapping my head around all of this. Being in this line of work for you know two decades, mm-hmm. um, how that could have been interpreted that way, and and maybe it's a we'll never know thing. Mm-hmm. In because if it wasn't released, if it's not public to listen to, then I just don't see what possibly from the nine one one call could have potentially indicated that she was a suspect, a suspect other than that she was withdrawing money and didn't have her husband with her. And God, right. everybody, it's and not that, 1950. Get over yourself. And I mean, what was initially reported to the police was that there was a home invasion in progress. Yeah. So they, they go to the home and not the bank where she's at. So that to me, it, it was weird. But furthermore, Sergeant Viola told Lieutenant Joseph Manzini, and this is a quote from court records. What I want to do is set up a perimeter, a better perimeter, as soon as everyone is geared up. And then what we are going to, oh, excuse me. And then what we are going to wind up doing is we're going to have to make contact, end quote. Well, yeah. Instead of letting Manzini, essentially, I think what was going on was Manzini was there at the home. He watched Jennifer and Shitbag go back into the house. And instead of intervening right there, it was let's wait for the rest of the unit to arrive and gear up and then we're going to take action. And by that time, it was far too late. They get back there. He rapes and murders her. They pour the gasoline everywhere and set it on fire. How long does all of that take? A matter of minutes. I mean, and and to be fair, 
maybe that is their protocol and, and that they, they would wait. I mean, you have one person, right? He's waiting right. for the rest of his unit to get there. I'll, I'll, I'll give him a, a, a buy on that one, mm-hmm. really, um, because knowing what I do about hostage situations, one person isn't going to be able no. to do much with that. And he knows he's outnumbered. It's right. the it's just the sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, all of our stomachs, knowing that he watched the um, murderer yes. walk her into the home and, and knowing still what the... considered a suspect. <laughs> yeah. Well, she so, isn't to me, and well, I haven't no. seen anything to indicate at all where she ever should have been, and that's my right. only commentary about how this case has been characterized right. so far. So what we know from the court records, too, is that 30 minutes had elapsed from the time of the initial 911 call that was made by the bank manager and when police finally realized that at least one person inside the Petit home was in physical distress. You know, as as it goes, at least two other members of the Petit family might be alive today had they entered the house or at the bare minimum, maybe allowed a hostage negotiator to talk to the perpetrators, kind of stalling the whole situation. I don't know. Many have questioned why police didn't stop shitbag and Jennifer at the bank to begin with. Well, that's so, where it should. That's in my opinion where it should have happened. Yep. Yep, I am. I'm with you. The locals are with you on that as well. You know, this made big news. This has been a problem for this small, this community, of course. They initially were going to do the plea bargain, but they went ahead with the trial. So Shitbag's trial started in October of 2010. And his lawyer argued that a life sentence would be a worse punishment for his client than death because he relived the event over and over in his mind every day. As if he's like remorseful about it. Okay. While waiting for his trial to start, he attempted suicide more than once, but the jury disagreed and they sentenced him to death by lethal injection. So bye-bye shitbag. Sometimes things happen that restore my faith in humanity as it applies to jurors and how they make decisions. Mm -hmm. And this is one of them. It may be. But hold on. (sighs) There's more. Great. In December 2010, Shitbag did apologize to the Petit family saying, (gasps) quote, How big of him? "Mm, I oftentimes looked at Dr. Petit and became sick to my stomach knowing what he has been through and what he continues to go through to this day. There's not a moment that goes by that this does not weigh on my mind, especially since he suffered due to my actions. My suffering is meaningless compared to that of Dr. Petit. Death for me will be a welcome relief, and I hope it will bring some peace and comfort to those I have hurt so much. He then added, I am deeply sorry for what I have done and the pain that I have caused. My actions have hurt so many, affected so many lives, and caused so much pain. I am tormented and have nightmares about what happened in that house, end quote. So Jerkovsky, I'll spare you the details, he too was went through trial and was sentenced to death, okay? He tells the court, quote, I will never find peace within. My life will be a continuation of the hurt I caused. The clock is now ticking, and I owe a debt I cannot repay. It's a surreal experience being condemned condemned to die, end quote. However. Nope. Stop before the however. Jerkovsky kept jailhouse diaries that basically suggest that he was full of anger, and he finally found people to fucking take it out on. He said in his diaries that the crime didn't haunt him at all. It was a relief for him because he's a deeply troubled man. He wrote, and just trigger alert to this because these are some passages that led people to understand more about how unremorseful he really was. He wrote, quote, all were compliant. This time I took a risk, pulled the trigger, and the chamber was loaded. The Petit family, Petit family passed through their fears and into terror. It was captivating. 
validating that the pain in me was real. I was looking right at my personal demon reflected back in their eyes. Haley is a fighter. She tried hard time and time again to free herself. Mr. Petit is a coward. He ran away when he thought his life was threatened and ran away to leave his wife and children to madmen. I was cheated of my retribution, and so was Steve. I am what I am. I make no excuses. I am a criminal with a criminal mind. I was, yeah, go Goosebumped. Ahead. I goosebumped. All over or yeah. just the one side? Nope, just the one side. Yeah, he's horrific. In another passage, he wrote, quote, I was forced with the shocking realization that in some respects, I enjoy it. They were experiencing what I experience every day, end quote. And then he ended his 43-page diary with this phony, remorseful plea after saying all that. Michaela Haley Jennifer, which I hate that he even wrote out their fucking names. You have no right to oh, no, write their names. Oh, no, he every minute of it. He said, Michaela Haley and Jennifer, please, please, excuse me, forgive me, please. I am damned. Take my life. Fuck you, man. You write all that shit about Dr. Petit being a coward and how much you loved this and now forgive me please no so this is one of the few times that you will hear me say that there is something satisfying about how things used to be handled in perhaps Mm -hmm. the old testament yeah an eye for an eye you know Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna get into the philosophy of the death penalty and we don't have that here so it's not something that i have to deal with on a regular basis but doesn't some archaic part of you wish that they would put him in a house and cover him in gasoline and just light a match on your way out the door. I've thought that about so many cases that we've covered. Like, do you think there would be less violent crime if that is how our justice system works? Yeah. And, and I understand why it doesn't. And I'm, you know, I'm an employee thereof and a scholar of our justice system and and reforms that are made. And there's reasons for it, but you hear a story like like this convictions that would be horrific. Absolutely. And throughout the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, all of the lynchings that happened, Mm -hmm. especially with our minority populations that were just should never ever have happened because there weren't appropriate convictions, but this isn't the same. But can we, do you think we could have some sort of addendum to the law, (laughs) Megan, that says like in a situation like this, they are obviously the perpetrators. There are no if, ands, or buts about it. They are the perpetrators. So why can it not be that way for situations where there are <laughs> beyond a reasonable doubt? You just <laughs> blew my mind because this, so I've had this thought before. And again, these thoughts are not the opinion of any judges, lawyers, or any type of schooling I've ever received. So there's my, my uh, disclaimer. disclaimer. Yeah. In a state where there's the death penalty, and it's proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And then you have another jury, you know, actually apply the death penalty, yeah. which we don't do here, but you apply yep. the death penalty. Is there a beyond all reasonable doubt standard yeah. that would allow you to impose an increased penalty that was, for example, the same yes, <laughs> as the murder that they that had you committed. committed? It's not going to happen. No. But and nor necessarily should it, but it's the thought that goes through my head when I hear about this. Mm-hmm. This case was terrible, by the way. I know. I haven't since I started here had goosebumps in any case, and it happened twice in this case. And I'm gonna warn you, the next case that we do is gonna do the same thing for you. It's just as horrific. Fantastic. I know we had a fun, lighthearted episode last for we our did. listeners. I'm glad I wore a padded now, bra. I know. And now the next two or the next few I have lined up actually are really, really bad. But 
That's why people come here, I guess. We all like the morbid shit. Mm. This family deserved the Heather story told. So to your listeners that called it in, good job. And the doc is still alive. Yes, the doctor is still alive. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. Oh, okay, good. We have a follow-up with that. Thank you. So you're going to make me a little happier. Yes, we will end, as always, as we do, we will end on a happy note here on Crime Curious. But um, I did want to give you a little bit more information. So Jerkovsky's ex-girlfriend, Carolyn. I mean, you might be wondering, right? She actually said that in 2011, she spoke with a media outlet and said, listen, like during his trial and whatnot, he actually bragged to her about his role in the murders. He joked about how big Dr. Petit was and how difficult it was to knock him out. But, you know, he was able to do it. Um, He also laughed several times while confessing to the police about his role in it. So he was definitely a madman. Now, a lot of them, both of them tried to claim, you know, their childhoods had to do with, we always try to answer that question of why, blah, 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 right? This is a classic case of, well, it was my childhood. And then you bring out the defense of, well, there's lots of people who have went through those sort of same childhoods and don't do horrific things like this, right? So this case is no different. They, they did that as well. They also, through their time in prison, of course, try to make the other one be like, oh, he just made me be the bad guy when I was really just going along with the ride or whatever. I'm going to tell you in August of 2015, it seems as though the trials and the pain that Dr. Petit had to go through for both of those trials in 2010 was basically all for naught because the Connecticut Supreme Court ruled that the death penalty was unconstitutional and banned (sighs) executions for inmates on death row. Oh, I did not know. I did not see that coming. Yeah. So they are no longer on death row. Both men could have taken plea deals at the beginning and spared him that, but, you know, he wanted it. And honestly, I do think it still gives him some closure because he wanted that death penalty conviction and he got it for both of them. It's out of his hands that it was overturned. It was, it was overturned, right? So they were resentenced to six life terms in prison. But then an inter- an attorney for Jerkovsky told the Connecticut Supreme Court in October 2019 that his client is seeking a new trial for the home invasion murders and that the original should not have been held in New Haven because the jury selection was a circus that ruined his circumstance or his chances for a fair trial. And an appeal an appeal was filed on Jerkovsky's behalf in 2017 partly blaming the police's slow response for the murders. I'm sorry, the defendant blamed the police for not getting there quick enough to stop him from killing people? Sure did, because, hold on, I have an explanation for that. Because he blames shitbag for the murders. So he's like, had you got there sooner, he never would have murdered them. Because he doesn't take any accountability for murdering no, these No, just, he just raped the 11-year-old. Right, in his, in his mind. Mm-hmm. Did they both go get the gasoline? We know there were two cans. Who got the gasoline? Was it shitbag? It was shitbag. So shitbag went and got that gasoline. Okay. I have so many things to say right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to think of a good way to do this. Felony murder in any state, it does not matter whether you're the shitbag or not. <laughs> right, 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 right. You, He may be the one who bought the two gallons, by the way, of gasoline. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he may be the one who ultimately, while he was raping the um, mom there, ended up strangling her. You are both culpable for the murders because you were committing a felony. 
it's it this is basic common law in the United States. It's not state specific either. Like this is everywhere. Yeah. If you kill someone in the commission of a felony, you can be the person who's committing the felony, i.e. the home invasion here, not even be the one to actually kill the person directly and you are, are guilty culpable. of the felony murder. Period, yep. point blank. I want to know on has the appeal been granted? It was October, let's see. Does he get a new trial? We don't know yet. This was this happened in 2019. I will have he was faith. seeking a new trial. Okay. I will have faith at this point yeah. in the judicial system. Um, yeah. And there there would have to be some type of error that we are unaware of, mm-hmm. I think, for that to happen. But mm-hmm. I'll pay, we'll play, we will pay close attention to this now. Yep. To my knowledge, I do not believe that he has been. I My blood's boiling. I, I have a lot of sources on this I see, case. Yeah. And um, no, I have not seen where he was given a new trial. Yeah, we're so I'm out. sure it was probably denied. But being 2000 in October of 2019, so then um, COVID would have hit. Right oh, things, that, are, things are behind. It might have, yes, been very backed up. So um, I'll give you an update on shitbag as well. He has decided that he is transgender and he's currently undergoing hormone therapy in prison. I don't even have words right now. Yeah, we're just we're not going to talk about that. Oh, uh, and this is not towards our transgender oh, God, community. No, no, not no, no, at no. all. This is this is more he had been suicidal prior mm-hmm. to his death sentence conviction. He was so. He does have something going on. And in all fairness, and God, Dr. Um, Petit, I'm so sorry, but he he did seem to show a little bit of remorse there mm-hmm. in his letters, certainly. Yeah, he didn't write the diary that no. Joukowsky did. Um, wanting to die, welcoming death. Yep. Um, so I guess whatever happens after that, that is, is his thing, whether this is a, a natural thing for him or not, uh, it really, in my opinion... Has nothing to do nope. or any bearing on the fact that he murdered, raped and murdered. Yep. Raped and murdered. So exactly. I just don't feel like him him acting in this manner at this point in time should has, have any bearing on his character as a, as a rapist and murderer. No. He's still, he, she is still the same person who did the bad things. The things. So well, that's where I'm going to leave it with that. And in 2018, he's upset because he was released into the general pop. And he got bullied by the other inmates. Right. And he doesn't like that. And he complains that there's a lot of pettiness amongst prisoners and staff. Well, that's what happens when you land yourself in prison for life for murdering and raping a beautiful family, you fucking idiot. Yeah, absolutely. You know, anything that happens, again, post this murder with them in in prison. And this is a whole different podcast and a whole different topic that multiple essays and discussions can be had on. And this is how we deal with our LGBTQ plus community who are incarcerated. Dude, mm-hmm. we can we could go on forever. We could, um, and it, but it's a whole different podcast, yep. and I just don't want to take away at this point in time from what happened from the to the Petit family. Yeah, exactly. That's where the case ended for us in yep. terms of what's happening with these people who have survived now. The defendants who have survived, yes, um, because they were. Did not you call put them the defendants? The defendants. <laughs> The yes. perpetrators. They, yes. Are, that's, they're just living the rest of their fucking days in prison. Yeah. Um, but I do want to tell you about Dr. Petit. Okay. So he, Please tell me something good, Charlie. Obviously, I am. I'm going to tell you a lot of good things here. Obviously, we know that he struggled in the beginning. Okay. He had PTSD. He really struggled to um, even come out of his bedroom. He, you know, it, he had frequent flashbacks. I mean... It was very, very difficult for him. He said, I went to sleep one night 
in a nice home with a loving family and basically woke up in an emergency room naked on a gurney with no family, no home. Everything was just gone. End quote. Oh, that uh, I just I'm so sorry. That sends me shivers. Um, He was not convinced that he would ever find happiness again. He actually told that to Oprah. She did an interview with him. But at the end of the dark tunnel, there was a light at the end of uh, at the end. In 2002, he remarried a woman named uh, Christine Ploff, a freelance photographer and volunteer with with the Petit Family Foundation that was founded by Dr. Petit in honor of all the Petit women and in front of 300 guests with the blessing of his late wife's family. That's uh, teary teary eyed over here. So before the wedding meal, a blessing was written by uh, Jennifer Petit's father, who happened to be a reverend, Richard Hawk, and was read. Uh, Reverend Hawk wanted to read it himself, but he and his wife could not attend the wedding because um, his wife had some health issues at the time. In the in November 2013, the couple welcomed a baby boy named William Arthur Petit III. And in a statement he wrote, he said, quote, Our son is a beautiful Thanksgiving and Christmas gift. He is very lovable and sweet. I will tell him of his two big sisters, Haley and Michaela. Sorry, I'm getting emotional. I am too, and Ooh. I don't do this. No, me neither. <laughs> I will tell him of his two big sisters, Haley and Michaela, and how they always helped others with smiles on their faces. I am sure that they and their mother, Jennifer, are smiling down upon him, end quote. Ooh. So also, yeah, thanks, in- <laughs> look no. at me. I look like Puss in Boots right now. <laughs> you do look like Puss in Boots. <laughs> I know. Do you want to take my picture? I'm not letting them leak out. With the sad eyes. Uh, <laughs> she's oh, tipping her head out. back to get those tears in. Yeah. <laughs> I know that broke me. In 2016, Dr. Petit won a state legislative seat in <gasps> Connecticut. He ran as a Republican and was nominated for the 22nd House District. Ugh. The budding politician defeated Representative Elizabeth uh, Bocas. Okay. Wow. So he used his powers for good instead of evil. He did. Politicians. And good he, job. And he could have turned, He, I mean, he could have sure, like taken his whole life away from, you know what I mean? He, oh, yeah. He could have never been a doctor again. He could have never become a politician. I mean, just never done anything good with his life. Beyond man that, was violently assaulted about his head. Exactly, who, a man who used his brain for a living. Like it's, it's astounding. It's amazing, yeah. a miracle, really. It really, really is. So, that is the story of the Petit family murders, and may Ugh. they rest in peace. And I'm so happy to hear that Doctor Petit is found some light at the end of the very, very dark tunnel he had to go through. Yeah, God bless Doc. Yeah. So, would you like me to bathe you? Fuck, please do it. I'm like, again, it's the first time so far that you drew moisture from my eyeballs. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it was terrible. I actually have a surprise for you because the brain bath that I'm going to do today was actually written by you. No. Oh, my God, Charnel, are you looking back at my Facebook posts? I am. Fuck. Because I was going to use this. I was going to use this anyway when our darling Patreon Tasha posted on October 2nd in the Patreon only group. If you are a Patreon and not a part of our Patreon only group, join us. We have a hell of a time in there. Is this my rewrite? It is. (laughs) I'm first going to read for everybody what she posted. Okay, this was right after Hurricane Ian. And we're going to post the picture of the man, right? He had um, put this out in what I believe was 
uh, it doesn't list it. It's a men seeking women in the Florida Keys. Yeah. Like publication. It's creepy. There is his picture. I believe it was an online publication. This is our Tasha from Grits with a Side of Murder, yes. right? Yep. Love you, Tasha. Yeah. So she posted this. And you guys, we, I will show you the photo. Oh, yeah. You got to you see gotta it. You got to see his selfie because fuck, man. Um, gold chain and everything. Can we just say he's got himself like a Fu Manchu slicked back hair and a gold chain? Not so, everybody can rock a mustache mm-hmm. unless you're like Sam Elliott, Tom Selleck, or Ron Swanson. Yeah, he... And he's, he's not doing well. He also has a crazed look in his eye. I mean, it's Oh, honey, not you sane. know I saw him. That's yeah. why you're giving this as a brain bath. <laughs> so here, here is what he originally said in his online, you know, seeking, men seeking women. The title he wrote was, Do You Need a Place to Ride Out the Storm in Jacksonville, Florida? Okay, he's talking about the horrific Hurricane Ian. It says, Hello, ladies. Single man here looking for any single woman needing a place to stay in Jacksonville to ride out the hurricane spelled H-E-R-I-C-A-N-E. I live alone, but hate to sleep alone. It's more fun to cuddle, hold someone. I uh, hold someone. I'm sorry about the grammar. There are no periods, commas, anything. Um, hard. Punctu- it's, it's, <laughs> punctuation is hard. But important. It's fun to, to uh, cuddle, hold someone. I don't smoke, drink, or do drugs, but 420 friendly. Oh, he did use a period, but no capital on the I that comes next. Period. I have a clean home with room to spare. I'm, no apostrophe between the I and the M. M. Yep. M, 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 white, 58, all it says is 58160. So I'm assuming that means he's 58 and 160. Blue eyes and lonely. I've always wanted to be with two women at once so we can work something out, LOL. Yes, let's lol that, okay? You must respond with picture and tell me what you want to do or looking for if you're looking for something long-term with a good man, 50. Don't look or act it, LOL. Yes, we're just lolling all over. No picture, no reply. I like younger woman, women, you don't fucking say, Age is just a number if you send a phone number with your picture. I'll call you, not text, call. I, I'm sorry. I will call you, not text. Call if I can't talk to you. I'm not interested, plain and simple. Too old for games. So our beautiful Megan fixed this for him You're and welcome. rewrote it. <laughs> One night, which I'm assuming. This was after we recorded last <sighs> Sunday, right after the Banshee episode, I where we were sleep. in rare form. Yeah, and I don't sleep. I go to bed at like 2 a.m. I know, so because I read these this. These are my musings. I read this the next morning and was like, holy shit, she was still awake after Witch's Brew? She was. So here it says, this is this is beautiful, but probably my favorite thing I will ever read. This She rewrote it for him. Hello, ladies, period, because that's how it should be. Single man here, can't imagine why. Looking for any single woman, specifically one with no friends or family to report her missing, to ride out the hurricane tied up in the basement, I live alone, in my mom's basement, but hate to sleep alone. The corpses I, corpse, the corpses I keep go bad fast. <laughs> it's more fun to cuddle and hold someone until the body starts to decompose. I don't smoke, drink, or do drugs, except weed and the prescriptions I write myself from the pad I stole from the clinic. I have a clean home with room to spare. 
I use a lot of bleach and always buy extra large tarps. <laughs> I'm white. 5'8", which means 5'5", five five because men always add three inches, and 160 pounds, which means 190 because men subtract 30 pounds. I have blue, I have blue eyes, a collection that I keep in my freezer, and lonely. I've always wanted to be with two women at once, since I clearly would have better odds of pleasing at least one, question mark? So we can work something out, LOL. Insert inappropriate laughter. You must respond with a picture, a nude, obviously, and tell me what you want to do. Please no runners. <laughs> that was my favorite. Please no runners. Oh, so please and tell me what you want to do. Please no runners or looking for a way out of the basement. If you're looking for someone long term with a good man, maybe check out Tinder or the arrest pages. 50. Don't look or act like it. Read immature and needs trained, LOL. No picture, no reply. Again with the nudes. I like younger women. Age is just a number, says every man busted on the To Catch a Predator on Dateline. <laughs> if you send a phone number with your picture, I'll call you from outside your house. Not text, call, because evidence. If I can't talk to you, I'm not interested, plain and simple. Too old for games parentheses other than a game of game of felony hide and seek <laughs> period you're welcome thank you you're welcome I, I didn't even know I was the brain bath today that was my I brain bath I, for myself I wanted to to surprise you with your own words for I, the brain bath I like to correct creepy men <sighs> as you should and remind them that this is how the rest of the world read that yes it a hundred percent is how oh. do they not realize that do you tell them in your courtroom Sometimes, like, you know, when you say that she wasn't struggling, <laughs> that cuddle with a struggle is still at least a misdemeanor. No, I don't usually have to say that. I think it's in my tone. <gasps> oh, probably. And maybe the way I look at people. Oh, definitely. Your eyes are harrowing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I take that as a compliment. It, it was. It was meant to be one. But yes. that right there is just... Um, it is a predator. That's a police report pre-written. It sure is. Online. See, I mean, that is evidence, essentially. And we're going to probably feature this man on a podcast if a woman dare ever respond to that ad. I feel like it's a, it's a distinct possibility and it, we should check and see if everyone's okay in did, the Jacksonville area. Did anyone actually respond to that ad? I want to know. I mean, I think that when you're going through a, a natural disaster like that, all kinds of opportunities present themselves where you would want to be safe. And I'm just going to let you know, I think riding the hurricane out is probably a better idea than one, this this young man right here. You know, it's funny that you say that because a couple of days later, one of our Patreons did say that. She's like, um, no, I'm taking my chances with Hurricane Ian. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. He right, seems like so. he seems like a less murdery guy that yeah. Ian. Yeah. Sadly, right? because that was tragic. Uh, absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all for listening today and hanging out with us. If you would like to binge extra content and get exclusive content moving forward, uh, feel free to join our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash crime curious. It's also a link in our show notes as well. You can send case suggestions through our website. We have a website. I never promote it and I really need to. And you just updated it too. I did. I just finally put your beautiful face on there with oh. a little blurb. So that's just Crime Curious Podcast. The blurb isn't my face. There's a blurb under it. Yes. Yeah. I meant a blurb. <laughs> There's a, I did make that sound terrible. No, I, I made it sound terrible. I put the blurb of Megan on there. 
No, it's it is. It's sorry, no nudes. <laughs> nope. We're not advertising for roommates here. <laughs> Unfortunately, that gentleman will not call us back because we won't be texting him any, calling him and giving him any nudes. You want to bet? I bet he would. Oh my God, that's how we could lure him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I should be luring people. Oh, shoot. Well, <laughs> anyway, uh, feel free to follow us on social media. That helps us get seen too by other uh, people who enjoy true crime podcasts. And then you can see the funny shit we post too. And we also do post pictures of the victims and things like that, too. So not that you all aren't Googling them the minute that I say what the case is about. I know. I do it, too, when I'm listening. It's on the presentation, though. But, yep. All right. Well, until next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.